Well, we're continuing on in our uh, Philippians series. Uh, So if you've got your Bibles with you, open up to uh, Philippians chapter 3. We've moved into the second half of the letter to the Philippians, so it's exciting days. Um, Well, this morning, I think there's certain times we need to be reminded afresh, don't we? As Christians, we need to be reminded afresh. I mean, for me, I just seem to forget things all the time. um, So I constantly need to be reminded, even of simple things like uh, remembering to bring my lunchbox home and all sorts of different things. You'd be be amazed at how many times and how quickly I can forget the simplest of things. But it's not just about uh, simple everyday things that we need reminders. Uh, We also need to be reminded of the gospel frequently. The gospel is no different at all. We so easily as Christians slip into either legalism or license. And I believe this morning Paul, in fact God through Paul, wants to help us afresh. I've got this quote uh, here by Sinclair Ferguson. I think it's a fantastic quote. Sinclair says this, he says, Paul was constantly appealing to his readers. Do you not know? Do you not remember what you were taught? We are rarely as mature as we think. We are never beyond needing the truth of Scripture explained to us again. The freshness lies not in the novelty, but in the power of the Spirit, helping us to see how much more wonderful and potent is the truth we already knew. Then we realise how comparatively superficial our knowledge has been. Isn't that true? We're never beyond hearing that same truth of the Gospel again, are we? We just move towards a deeper knowledge of the gospel afresh. And we are a church that is determined never to move on from the gospel. We want to constantly remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel. And this morning, God has taken us back full circle to the gospel to look at trusting in Christ alone. So if you've got your Bibles open to Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to read from uh, verse 1 and then I'll pray for us. Hear these words of Paul to the Philippians. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we come before your word with with bowed knees, Lord. 
We're just mindful afresh this morning. I'm mindful afresh this morning that too quickly I grow overly familiar with your gospel. Too quickly I move on from the glorious truth of Jesus Christ crucified for sinners like me. Lord, I pray for us this morning. Open our eyes, Lord, afresh. Open my eyes afresh this morning to the power and glory of your gospel. Lord, would we be transformed this morning afresh by your gospel? Lord, this morning would we be renewed afresh by your great message? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to begin by reading you a brief excerpt from an article from The Australian uh, from just late last year entitled, Gail Kelly's Tip to Women, Back Yourself. The author writes the following, Gail Kelly's advice to young women wanting to work their way up the corporate ladder is simple, back yourself and have a go. The outgoing Westpac boss says there have been many times throughout her stellar banking career that she wasn't ready for the next step up. But she's glad she kept taking those leaps forward. After beginning her banking career in South Africa in 1980, Mrs Kelly held many senior executive roles, including at the Commonwealth Bank, before being appointed Chief Executive of St George Bank in 2002, and then Westpac six years later. Mrs Kelly is only one of a handful of women CEOs leading Australia's top-listed companies. While she expects... More women will fill such roles in the future. Mrs. Kelly fears many often wait to be 100% ready before putting their hand up for a promotion. Mrs. Kelly says, My advice and counsel to women is back yourself. Be prepared to have a go. Be prepared to put your hand up before you think you are ready for a role, she said. I think there's something really Australian about Gail Kelly's story, isn't there? And her advice, isn't there? Just have a go. Just back yourself. Just go for it. There's something that we love in our culture as Aussies to just, you know, go for it. It's almost instinctive for us as Australians just to give things a shot. You know, I was thinking about uh, some time ago when uh, I was going for uh, renewing my driver's license uh, license at the uh, RMS uh, in Sydney. And uh, as many of you know, I I, I wear glasses, I need to wear glasses, I hate wearing glasses. And I thought, oh... You know what, I wonder if maybe when we do the eyesight test bit where you look at the screen, they, surely they don't, they haven't memorised the chart. You know, maybe if I just back myself and go for it, we'll be alright, they won't know any better. So we got into the RMS and got the screen, like, okay, read from the, read from the chart, I'm like, A, B, Q, uh, L, M, I do the first couple of lines, it's okay. And then after that, it's getting a bit vague, so I just thought, I'm going to go for it. M, N, P, Q, R, S, T, uh, should I keep going? I'm like, no, no, you're right, man, no problems at all. And uh, I passed this test by just going, <laughs> going for it. Uh, now, obviously, I still wear glasses when I drive and, you know, I'm safe and I just want to reassure you. But there's, there's something about our culture that loves that idea of just having a go, isn't there? Just instinctively, we, almost, we, we love it, backing ourselves. But almost instinctively, time and time again, we can take that approach to our relationship with God, can't we? I'll be all right. But uh, with God, if I just have a go, just back myself with God. Just trust in myself when it comes to God. Well, this morning where I'm praying for, I'm hoping for us for a bit of gospel refreshment. 
I want us to be drinking deeply this morning from a gospel that's not about backing ourselves or our own energy, but is all about grace. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. So whether you're someone here this morning who is a Bible-believing person, or whether you're someone here this morning who's just found yourself here with us, brought along with a friend, we'll be looking at a passage this morning that I believe has a, has a clear message to you. God wants to address us this morning. And the message this morning is really that when it comes to making it with God, if you trust yourself, you're in a dangerous position. Things will not go well for you in the end. More if you trust yourself, if you back yourself, if you take that just have it a go, have a go and, and back myself uh, way of thinking with God, you will also rob yourself of great joy. You're missing a glorious opportunity. So this morning, uh, the title of this message is simply, No Confidence in Me. Two points. My first point this morning, a strong warning. The second point this morning, for those who make notes, is three sure signs, two points, but, but one simple message this morning, and that is that you would not joylessly trust in yourself, but joyfully trust in Christ. Christ alone. That you wouldn't rob yourself of joy by trusting in you and your own strength, but that you would joyfully put all of your trust, all of your confidence in the finished work of Jesus. So let's begin with a strong warning. I wanted to begin this morning, uh, this first point, by just sort of recapping where we've been, what's been happening in Philippians. Um, We've seen Paul at the beginning of Philippians chapter 2 uh, highlight the example of Jesus and really exhort the Philippians to follow his example. He, who being in the very nature God, didn't count equality with God a thing to use to his own advantage, but humbled himself, made himself nothing, humbling himself to death, even death on a cross. And Paul highlights Jesus' great example and follows on from highlighting Jesus' great example to give us three tangible, three earthy examples of other people who have been following in the example of Christ. The first example he gives is his own example. In verse 17, Paul says, Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Isn't that beautiful? Even if it means me pouring myself out to death for you, I'm joyful in that and I rejoice in that. Paul gives himself as the first example, but he moves on from there in verse 20 to give Timothy as an example. He says in verse 20 of Timothy, he says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Timothy is someone who just just counts others' interests, just like Jesus, so much more than anyone else Paul knows. He is so bothered about other people. But he doesn't stop with two examples. He moves on to a third example. And that is the example of Epaphroditus in verse 30. Uh, Paul writes, For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Epaphroditus who risks his life for the sake of serving Jesus Christ. Three beautiful uh, illustrations of what it looks like to follow the example of Jesus. Well, Paul changes tacks now and, and changes to talk about something different. 
moves on to the final run of his letter. Read with me uh, from 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, or you could read that brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. In Greek, it's a command. Rejoice in the Lord. This word rejoice, it doesn't mean joy, joy, happy feelings. Rejoice. No, it's, it's, it's different from that. As, as Gordon Fee uh, explains it, it means verbalized with praise and singing. He's saying, praise and sing to the Lord. Be joyful. Sing hymns. But we must not think that as we read this verse section, that it's unrelated to what comes next. No, these are related thoughts. Paul is concerned here with the Philippians' joy. And we'll see how. Let's keep reading verse 1. Paul says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Paul says, I'm writing what I've already said to you before. I'm writing to you to remind you of something. I want to remind you of some truths I've talked to about before. And for me, it's no trouble. And for you, literally, it's a safeguard, he says. It's a safeguard for you. It's something to protect you. It's something to guard you. Well, protect from what? To understand what Paul is going to talk about next, we need to understand something of the, the, the debate going on in Philippi and around the world, in fact, about circumcision. You see, in Acts, we'd seen this massive gospel growth as the gospel went out from Jerusalem and Jews into the pagan world where Greeks and, and pagan people with no Jewish background were beginning to trust in Jesus and becoming saved. And the Jewish Christians, the Jewish Christians begin to say, well, these guys have trusted in Jesus, great. But now they need to come under the Jewish law to be part of God's people. Now they need to be circumcised, coming under the law that God gave to Moses a thousand years before. They need to be circumcised in order to kind of seal the deal to be saved. Jesus isn't enough. We need circumcision as well. We need Jesus plus. Well, what's circumcision all about? Well, circumcision in the Old Testament was really a sign given by God. It was a sign of a promise. A sign of a promise or agreement that God made uh, between himself and a guy called Abram. In Genesis 17, God appears to Abram, this elderly idol worshipper. And he says to this old man, he says, I'm going to make a promise to you. I'm going to make an agreement between you, me, and, and your children, your descendants, even though this old man had no children whatsoever in his old age. He says, I'm going to bless your socks off. God says, I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to make you in your old age into, through your children, which you don't even have any yet, I'm going to make a great nation. And the best bit yet not only going to make you into a great nation, the best bit, the real kicker, I'm going to be with you. I will be your God. 
we will have a special, exclusive relationship between me and your children forever. That's the promise. That's the promise that God makes. This promise to have a special relationship. And so we read in Genesis 17, verse 9, uh, the writer says, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And here it is. And it shall be a sign of the covenant, that agreement, between me and you. God speaks to Abraham and he says, I'm making this great promise to you. And as a sign of what I'm promising, of our agreement, I'm asking you to circumcise all of your men that you will remember the agreement that we have between me and you. But circumcision didn't just stay as a sign of the promise. It also became, became a sign of being part of God's people, being in with God. Jewish people or converts to, to Judaism who were circumcised became called the circumcised. And people who were on the outer, who were not part of God's people, became the uncircumcised. Those that are in, the circumcised, in with God, in, in his special people, those on the out, the uncircumcised. And so there are people in Philippi who are saying to the Philippian Christians, Christians, Jewish Christians in Philippi who are saying, look, you want to be really spiritual. You want to make it with God. Trusting in Jesus is great, but look what we're doing. You want to be really spiritual? You need to follow Old Testament law. Not like these guys who just follow Jesus. No, 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 not like those. They're spiritual lightweights. You want to really make it with God? You want to really be in the end? You need Jesus plus. You need a new edition of Jesus. You need Jesus plus law as well. And how does Paul respond to their message? How does he respond? Well, he responds with a very strong warning. And I want to warn us as a church... This is some of the strongest language in all of Scripture. Paul is at his absolute fiercest. Why? For Paul, the gospel here is at stake. Paul begins, verse 2, read with me, verse 2. He begins, Look out, watch out, beware. Three times he commands them to watch out. Three times he says, Watch out for people like this. Watch out for these people. You know, church, we can't begin to think that we're immune from this warning either. We can't begin to think that this warning somehow doesn't apply to us. We need to pause and pay careful attention to what Paul is warning us against, the type of people that Paul is warning us, telling us to be wary of. Well, the first group, he says in verse 2, look out, watch out for the dogs. It's powerful. It's, it's, it's hard language, isn't it? The dogs. You know, it, at the time, dogs were the lowest of animals. Dogs were unclean animals. You know, I lived for some time in Aceh in North Sumatra, a very strict, fundamentalist Muslim place, and they hold to much of this Old Testament law. And for them, dogs were filthy animals. 
And so to, to have someone call you a dog is one of the highest insults you can have to be called a filthy, unclean animal. But the other aspect of the use of the word dogs is that Jews in Paul's day used dogs as a label for Gentiles, people that were not part of God's people. And so what Paul is saying, he's saying pay careful attention, watch out for the dogs. He's reversing it. These people who claim to be part of God's chosen people, they're in fact Gentiles, outside of God's people. Watch out. He doesn't just stop there, he goes on. These, what does he say? The evildoers. Watch out for evildoers. Watch out for those who work evil. You know, they were teaching, ironically, follow Jesus plus do good things, weren't they? Follow Jesus plus obey Old Testament law. And Paul says, you are really not doing good. You are working evil. Isn't that powerful? That those that try to impress God with doing good things are in fact not doing good at all, but doing evil. Saying to God, I don't need your son, but I'm able to make it with you by myself. It looks good, doesn't it? It looks impressive, doesn't it? But in fact, it's evil, says Paul. More than that, read on. More than that, what does he say again in verse 2? He says, those who mutilate the flesh. Those who mutilate the flesh. It's a play on words with the word circumcision. The word circumcision literally means to cut around. Obviously, because you cut around the foreskin of a, a baby boy to circumcise the child. He replaces cut around with cut everywhere. Those who sl- slashes, those circumslashes almost like. Those people who mutilate the flesh. Paul says, these guys are not friends of salvation. These guys are not healers. These guys are mutilators. Paul says to us, watch out for dogs, evildoers, flesh mutilators. Paul is saying to the Philippians, you must watch out for people who add to the gospel. And Paul is saying to us that we must watch out for anyone who teaches Jesus plus anything. If you add to the gospel of salvation through Christ alone, Paul says, watch out. Why is, why is it so bad? Like, why, is, why is Paul so worked up about this? Why, why, is, why is Paul so worried? Paul is concerned because the gospel is at stake. I just want to ask us this morning a question. Have you, have you ever felt deeply ashamed? Deeply ashamed of something. You know, usually we feel deeply ashamed uh, when things we want to keep hidden are exposed, isn't it? Things we want to keep locked away are exposed. Like the text to the person that the text message is about. I mean, have you done that one before? Like we feel ashamed, right? Because we've been talking about this person. We accidentally, we're thinking about so much, thinking about, thinking about, thinking about. But you send it to the person that you're actually writing about. Shame. I mean... 
when someone sees you doing something that you want to remain private, what do we feel? We feel shame. Well, the message of the gospel is that in the beginning, God made the heavens and earth and he made us. He made man and woman and he made them and they were good and they were without shame. They were shameless. But man and woman, though they were without shame with themselves and with God, they turned their back on God. They rejected God. And the immediate thing that happened when they decided they wanted to be the rulers of their own life was that they felt ashamed. And when they felt ashamed, what did they do? They hid. They felt ashamed and they hid. And similarly, we also, we're full of shame, aren't we? They're things that we're ashamed of. We hide the truth about ourselves from others and we have broken relationships, broken family relationships, broken relationships with friends, with colleagues, with neighbours. But most of all, we live and feel shame before the living God because we've turned our backs on Him and we're worthy of punishment, disconnected from God. But God doesn't leave us wallowing in our shame, cut off from Him. He sends His very own Son, our Lord and Saviour Jesus. God the Son humbles Himself to come and die on the cross. He lives the life we couldn't live. And He dies the death only we deserve. And on that cross... He takes all of our shame and all of our guilt so that through simple trust in Him we can have a new relationship with God, one free from shame. We can have a new family that we're adopted in where we need not feel ashamed. We can be new people, right with God, right with each other. No more hiding, no more shame. And it's a free gift. That's what grace means. Unmerited gift. Free gift of God's kindness, God's mercy towards us. Unmerited favour. And so Paul, in response to this in Galatians 5, he writes this. He says, Paul, Paul says this, he says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, if you accept following Old Testament law in addition to Christ, Christ will be of no advantage, no value to you at all. He says, I testify to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Paul is saying once we start trying to earn our way with God, once we try and, try and get right with God by doing good things, we've fallen away from grace because it's no longer grace. It's no longer unmerited favour. It's works. It's doing good to please God and, and we just can't do it. Paul sees that once you add to simply trusting in Jesus, you're no longer really trusting in Jesus at all. You are trusting in you. And so Paul wants to encourage us. He wants to warn us with a strong warning and he wants to encourage us. So he says... In, in verse 4, he describes putting confidence in the flesh. Flesh, you see, is, is the Bible's way of describing us apart from God. 
skin and bones. Confidence in the flesh is trusting in what I can do by myself without God. And so Paul describes it this way. He wants to encourage us. He says in verse 4, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, reason for confidence in myself apart from God also, if anyone thinks he has more reason for confidence, he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul says, you want to back yourself? You want to just give it a go and trust in yourself? I've played that game. It won't get you anywhere. You see, Paul was confident by birthright. He says, look guys, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of Israel. I was born of the tribe of Israel. I'm an Israelite. More than that, I was of the tribe of Benjamin, one of God's favoured favored, uh, tribes, one in which he got his name from, Saul, the first king of Israel. Paul says, more than that, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm of pure Hebrew lineage. You want to boast in the flesh? You want to boast in confidence before God based on just myself and my doing? I've got more than you to boast about. But not just by my birthright. Paul goes on. By my achievement as well. You see, Paul says, I was, according to the law, a Pharisee. I was the strictest, most fundamental, faithful to the Old Testament group of religious zealots in all of the Bible, in all of the first century Palestine at that time. I was one of the most strict. More than that, if you want to get down to zeal, passion for the Old Testament, I was a persecutor of the church. I was so faithful to the Old Testament that I saw these infidels, these people teaching false truth, and I chased them down to kill them and persecute them. I'm more zealous than anyone. More than that, if you want to go down to the letter of the Old Testament law, the law of Moses, I'm blameless. I've kept the whole thing, says Paul. But in verse 7 and 8, after our passage, he goes on to say, all these things I've done, I count it as rubbish. I count it as trash. It won't get you anywhere, says Paul. Don't waste your time. I've had a go. It gets you Nowhere. Paul begins with a reminder to protect the Philippians. He begins with a strong warning. Watch out for anyone who would add doing good to the gospel. Well, I put to us this morning that we are equally susceptible to trusting in self. We are equally susceptible. You know, even as Christians, we can say, oh yeah, by grace alone, through faith alone, but, but live so differently live really differently. We can fall into a kind of good day, bad day way of thinking. And I wonder how you came here this morning. Maybe you've come here this morning and you've had a good day. You've had a good week. You know, you've been nailing it all week. You've been praying and seeing fruit. No big sins. You've been timing the word. You've been productive at work. And so you come here this morning, you're pumped up. You're loving worship. You're hungry for the word. And you're doing good because all the good things that you've done this week, but you are deceived. Because you believe that you're doing well with God based on what you've done. And the truth of Scripture is, as Paul says in Romans 7.18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, in me apart from Christ. There is no good 
thing in us apart from God's work. We are always in need of grace. Or maybe you're coming this morning and it's more like a bad day. In fact, it's more like a nightmare. You know, you've slept through your alarm all week and you've spent no time in, in the Word at all. You drank too much last night and you've got a mild headache here this morning. You're angry with the kids. You, you looked at porn again. You gossiped this morning even though you swore you'd never do it again. And you come here this morning and the way you feel is downcast. You're withdrawn. You're feeling guilty. You're feeling as though because of the things you've done this week, God is displeased with you. Let me encourage you this morning. Let, let me encourage us this morning, particularly those who come this morning after a bad week. Let me encourage us. We must never question the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We must never question His willingness to forgive We must never question the power of His blood to wash away sins, even repeat sins. We don't believe as a church in Jesus plus works. We believe in a gospel of grace. We believe in grace alone. We believe in Jesus alone. We believe in Romans 8 when when Paul says, Who can separate us? From the love of God in Christ. He says, I am sure of this, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. How good is that? How sweet is that? You know, Jerry Bridges puts it so hopefully this way. He says this, he says, your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. Isn't that good? And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. Never beyond His reach. Never beyond need. Every day we come needing grace. Although we can fall into adding to the gospel, Paul begins with a strong warning. Do not add to grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone. But Paul doesn't just leave us with a strong warning against adding to the gospel. He goes on. Our second point, three sure signs. Why don't you read with me uh, verse 3. Paul says, For we are the circumcision. Paul says, we are the true circumcision. You want to look at the people who have God's sign, God's marking of being His chosen people? It's us, Paul says. It's us. Well, what is this true mark? Well, Paul gives us three signs, three sure signs. The first one is upward. It's upward. Paul says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. We worship by God's Spirit. In fact, that word worship refers to the practice of 
uh, the cult, the temple cult, going up to the temple and making offerings and sacrificing the good works of keeping Old Testament law. We work by power of God's Holy Spirit. And just how quickly we move over this. How quickly we read the truth that we worship by the power of God's Spirit, that we serve by the power of the Spirit of God Himself. We, 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 we too quickly move over this, don't we? We, we? we read and go, oh yeah, great, move on. But I want you to think about it with me afresh this morning. You know, the other week we were at Jesse's place uh, with a bunch of the guys from my group sitting on the hill, looking out at just the beautiful, beautiful bushland as the sun was going down. I just remember looking at the stars starting to come out in the sky and those beautiful, intricate bark on the eucalyptus trees and their little you know, leaves and just how beautiful and intricate it is and the, just the beauty of God's beautiful creation. When we worship the God who made us more than made us, he made this world. He made everything down from ants in the ground to birds in the sky to trees. He made the stars. He made the galaxy. He made the, the air that we're breathing. He made it all and he made it all for his glory. And that's who we worship. And what Paul is saying this morning is that the only true God, the only one who was and is and is to come, works in us by the power of His Spirit. The only true God Himself dwells in us. Isn't that amazing? That the God who spun the stars in the sky would live and breathe and dwell in us. Phenomenal. You know, this last uh, week, Dave did an excellent uh, message looking at these great examples of Paul himself and Timothy and Epaphroditus. And I don't know about you, but sometimes we can walk away from seeing these great examples and think, I feel downcast because, you know, I'm not like that. Pause and think about what Paul is saying. God himself dwells in you. God himself is working in you. God himself has ordained to make you into an even greater example than Timothy and Epaphroditus. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, he says, I know for sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. He's making you into even greater than Timothy and Paul. He's making you into the image of Christ himself and he will bring it to completion. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that spectacular truth of of what God is doing and what we're reading in this text? You know, Paul writes in Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is this, is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Paul is saying all of these fruits of the Spirit, God is working in you, church. 
Isn't that encouraging? Doesn't that stir your heart to know that God is working in you? He's working a harvest of fruit in you. You know, Jared Wilson uh, writes this. He describes it this way in his excellent book, Gospel Wakefulness. He says, as long as we're thinking of achieving the fruit of the Spirit by our efforts to be more faithful and joyful, we may be working in their direction, but we're getting there by the sweat of our own brow. We've embraced rowboat spirituality. But think of the obedient work of the Christian life like a sailboat. Sailors don't just sit there, at least not for too long. There are lots of working parts on a sailboat and lots of things to pay attention to, but none of these things makes the boat go. The boat doesn't go unless the wind catches the sail. God, the Holy Spirit, is blowing a wind in your sails. He is moving you along by the power of His Spirit. Well, that's the first, upward, those who worship by the power of the Spirit. Secondly, outward, those who boast in Jesus Christ. Or it says in our passage, literally, those who boast in Jesus Christ. It says those who glory in Jesus Christ. This is talking about Paul's talking about people who, for whom Jesus is their primary passion in life. You know, when people ask you the question, what do you do during the week? I mean, how do you answer? I mean, it comes up all the time in our circles. What do you do during the week? Well, if you like me, there's two things that you're trying to convince that person of immediately. You're trying to convince them of how what you do is significant and how you're good at that significant thing you do. Isn't that true? We immediately try to impress people. We immediately try to boast to people about what we do and about our own personal achievements. But what Paul is saying is a mark of those who are the true people of God is that they boast in Jesus. That their passion in life is Jesus. I'm not talking about necessarily being like me. I mean, those who know me know I'm pretty intense. I prefer passionate. Um, but it just means that I harp on and on about what I like, right? And Dave knows that because he's at the receiving end all the time. Like, I go on and on and on. And um, we're not talking here about that primarily. We're talking about people here whose lives are just being captured by Christ, who Jesus is their all in all, their sweetest joy and delight. And so I want to ask you, what would those who know you best say about you and your passion? What would those who know you best say about your primary passion in life? What, what would your legacy be if, if you were to, to die right now? What would people remember you for? Paul says we are those who glory in Jesus, those who boast in Jesus. Well, upward, outward, but also thirdly, inward. Those who put no confidence in the flesh. Paul says... I put no confidence in me apart from Jesus Christ. Now friends, everything in this city cries against this point. Everything in this city says, just do it. Be the man. Be the person you want to be. Self-fulfillment. The I generation, the me generation. It's all about you. And so you make the most of yourself for yourself while you still live. That's what this city promises. That's what this city encourages us towards. I mean, I mean, why is Facebook so successful? It's simply so successful because it's self-promotion. It's self-marketing. It's an opportunity for us to market ourselves. We never let those bad photos last and linger, do we? Straight down delete because I always look good. 
We present to people the image we want them to see. We trust in ourselves, or at least the world encourages us to trust in ourselves. You can be who you want to be, do what you want to do, live where you want to live, go where you want to go, marry who you want to marry, be whoever you want, trust in you, in your flesh. Well, what's the purpose in all of this? Why is Paul so eager for us to understand these signs of God's people? Upward, outward, inward, no confidence in me. Well, the answer is, Paul is after our joy. He wants our joy. Read with me verse 3, 1 again. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Paul wants us worshipping God for a pure gospel, joyfully trusting in Christ alone. You know, for me, friends, when I think about my most joyless times in my life, the most joyless times I have are when I am trusting in me. When I think that somehow my job is to be impressive to others, when my job is somehow to make a name for myself, to have a successful ministry, that, they're the moments when I'm most joyless. But the times of my greatest joy is when I'm trusting in Christ and I'm bothered about making much of him and I'm bothered about serving him. Now, I was wondering this week, you know, why is it that we so often struggle here in Sydney to be thankful for the cross? Why is it that we find it so hard? And I put to you, it's because in middle class, upper North Shore, where we live, we really struggle to believe we need it. Isn't that true? I mean, when you think about it, we, we seem to have things together quite nicely. We believe that we're only relative sinners. We believe in the doctrine of sin, yeah, but the doctrine of relative sin. I mean, I mean, we're not as bad as others. Yeah, we get it wrong sometimes, but we're not like, you know, druggies or, I don't know, Westies or anything like that. We're, we're good, respectable people. I mean, we're educated, you know, law-abiding, hard-working. We're, we're often green people. But the truth is, when we think that way, we're deceived. We are deceived. We're self-righteous. We're proud. And most of all, we're ungrateful for the cross. What does it mean that my works contribute nothing? Well, it means our birth, our education, our privilege, our finances, our health, a gracious gift from our Lord. It means that Jesus Christ would die for our, an ungrateful person like me. That's amazing grace. To die for someone who doesn't even properly appreciate what he's done. And Paul wants to release us from the joylessness of a false gospel. He wants us to experience the joy of trusting in Christ and Christ alone. He wants to release us from bondage to confidence in me. To bondage the confidence in Christ. To making him our all in all. Paul wants to make sure the Philippians remember to trust 
in Christ alone. And so he gives them a strong warning. He says, guys, don't add to the gospel. He gives them three sure signs of those that are trusting Christ alone. Worship by the Spirit of God. Boasting in Christ alone. And no confidence in me apart from God himself. My prayer for us uh, this morning as a church is that we wouldn't be joylessly trusting in ourselves, but we would be joyfully trusting in Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I, I pray this morning for us as a church. Lord, you are gracious and merciful. I want to thank you for your gospel of grace that you would send your son to die for undeserving sinners like us. Lord, amazing grace. Lord, I pray this morning that you wouldn't allow us to rob ourselves of joy by trusting in our disappointing selves, Lord. Lord, give us the joy of trusting in Jesus alone. And may he have the glory now and forever. Amen.